0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Second Peter chapter one, verse twelve to chapter two, verse three. The reading this morning is also the uh sermon text. Feel free to follow along with me Second uh, Peter chapter One, starting in verse twelve. therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction." And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Before we get started, I'm just going to have a moment of silence here to settle
1: our hearts, and I'm going to pray God's scripture over us as we begin. Gracious God, as you have written in the book of Isaiah, you say, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth fruit and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall your word be that goes out from your mouth. It shall not return to you empty but it shall accomplish that which you purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which you sent it. That is our prayer, O Lord, that you would accomplish your purpose as we read and work our way through this text. Help me, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so before we get started and jump into this first text, I thought it would be good, since we may be back in here in a few weeks, that I should take a step back, uh, since we're now going to work our way through Second Peter uh, for a few lessons, and not just do the very first section and zoom out just a little bit to look at it as a big picture to see where we're going. Second <clears throat> Peter, sandwiched in between First Peter and Jude, First Peter was targeted towards how to live victoriously in the midst of increasing persecution and hostility, without losing hope, without having bitterness while trusting in their lord and while looking for the second coming and jude is essentially devoted to confronting apostasy defecting from biblical truth biblical faith and jude urges believers to contend for the faith and rigorously defend biblical truth and second peter has here in chapter two this big section and this main theme in the very mid section is around how to recognize expose, thwart, and ultimately defeat the invasion of false teachers into the church. The first 11 verses talk about, uh, we, Andrew referenced it, uh, about continuing to develop our Christian character. And in so doing, we as believers can have a wonderful assurance of our salvation. In verse 12 through 22, which we'll cover today, talks about and a special focus on divine inspiration of Scripture. 2, 1 through 22 is heavily around the false prophets that we talked about, their deception, the infiltration, their ultimate doom, but their impact can be devastating. In chapter 3, we see Christ's second coming, and the sureness of that day, and the sanctification of God's people. So I tried to summarize this in a sentence right living leads to right assurance and the ability to detect falsity while living in the hope of the future glory. I'm going to say that again. Right living leads to right assurance. This right living doesn't lead to salvation. God saves, but right living can provide us a sweet assurance of our position in the Lord. Right living leads to right assurance and the ability to detect falsity while living in the hope of the future glory. And if I were to put that sentence in underneath that sentence in a big box as a foundation that I would put underneath that, I would put, through the knowledge of God's Word, all of that is supplemented through the knowledge of God's Word. It is the foundational piece that upholds all of our hope. Think about the days we live in and the potential applicability here of this teaching. If we're going to try to hold on to a biblical worldview today, try to operate with a biblical faith and practice, we are going to see opposition. We are going to see persecution. There is an all-out war, an all-out attack on every form of basic structure and makeup of society as, 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 you know, as laid out by God's Word. We see attacks on the basic foundational structure of society, the family. People trying to redefine the, just the basic concept of a man and woman being joined together and covenanted before God as one flesh to raise a family and create life. That's under attack. Just even the, the idea of there being a man and a woman is under attack. Anything that has been set up from a basic Judeo-Christian ethic is currently targeted by our culture in a variety of ways. They have this concept of, let's get rid of it. But it's not just out there, it can be in the churches too. It's not just out there, it's not just the culture we see it within the church. We see denominations and churches liberalizing their teachings and taking on progressive interpretations, reinterpretations, and in some cases just complete denial of large sections of scripture. Some of this is not so subtle, but some of it is subtle. And however we read here, it says, Peter had reference to this too. There were cleverly designed myths In verses 1 through 15, we covered not a, that the, the, the book was written to believers, but we also see in verse 3 that Christ's divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. But what does it come through? The knowledge of Him who called us. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, by which He has granted to us His very great and precious promises, which are in here, in this very word that we have. But there's a so that. Why are we granted those precious promises? And why are we given this? It's so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, more Christ-like, allowing us to escape the corruption that's in the world. Andrew talked about these qualities. It says in here that if we possess them in increasing measure, they keep us from being ineffective and unproductive or unfruitful. Last time we covered this, I talked about that I really believe that that is written that way for a reason because when left to ourselves, we don't drift towards holiness. These qualities are there and when active in our lives are to help us be able to withstand the pressures of this world and our sin nature to drift towards. It keeps us from The example I gave was being on the beach, if you remember. And when you're out there playing along the beach and you're body surfing or you're throwing the frisbee or you're having a great time and, and you're there and, and, and you're, you look up after a little while and you, you're gonna come up out of the water and you, you don't see your tent or you don't see your ice chest or you, you know, you're like, this doesn't look quite familiar. And you look back up the, uh, up the beach a little way, oh, well, there's my stuff, what happened? the water and the waves, just this continual little pressure, the currents just move us down the beach, right? And if we're not careful, we look up and, oh wow, we've drifted down the beach. That's how sin and culture is. Just little bumps here and little bumps there. They move us and they try to move us down and move us away from the Lord and we have to possess qualities in increasing measure. Let's look in this week's text. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are establishing the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. And I will make every effort so that by, after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Three times. Three times there. Look. Remind of these qualities. Reminder. And then recall. Peter has a very emphatic language here, but he also has a sense of urgency. He has this significant sense of urgency. Why do you think he has such an emphasis on recalling? I think it's because we drift. We should never tire of hearing the gospel. Active pursuit of holiness is the best defense against the sinful world. I'm going to say that again. Active pursuit of holiness is the best defense against a sinful world. Isaiah 17.10 For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Mark 13.35-37 Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows are in the morning, lest he suddenly come and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Hebrews, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There are so many verses in Scripture about sluggishness and, and sleeping. We have to have an active an active pursuit of holiness remind and recall uh, the gentlemen and brothers that were just up here talked about this our very worship service is designed for that the term this uh, this remind and recall are words to bring to present thought consideration and contemplation truths present on the mind everything about how this is designed our meeting together is for that we are called by god's word to worship We sing, we confess, we find assurance in God's word. We pray, we hear God's word preached. We respond in song and remembrance. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. That's part of our service. And then we're sent out. Couple of points I want to press on here. There's some very emphatic language. Peter has a sense of urgency. He's dying. He says he wants to make every effort that we can recall these things after his departure. I thought of Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 9. Parents, Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 9. You can read that on your own. Only verse 9 will I read today, but it says. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. As Peter has a sense of urgency to make every effort that this truth may be recalled, you as parents should have a sense of urgency to make every effort that your kids are able to also recall these truths. The Christian life should be active, it should have a sense of urgency to it an effort to it for our own holiness but also for the message of hope that we have. We are told to go in Matthew 28. Nowhere in scripture is it given us the opportunity to sit back and be lazy and kick back. We are told to go. We are to be taking the message and making disciples for Jesus Christ. Paul, in his letter, says he presses on for the prize. These are active words. These are energetic words. I'm going to involve all of us now. We can read, turn with me to Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Everyone here today is an active participant, and I'm going to draw us all in. We're going to read this together. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are not to neglect the meeting together. And we are to stir each other up in love and good works. Again, a very active aspect of our Christian faith. couple of application questions. Do I have a sense of urgency to deal with my sin? Do I have a sense of urgency to impart truth to my kids? Am I compelled to go as our Lord commanded? And when oppositions arise, am I pressing on as the as Paul referred to. Press on for the sake of the gospel. Let's read further on. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him of the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Such a, just a beautiful section of Scripture. I just love it. You know, the the testimony to the inspiration of God's Word. It's just such an amazing uh, blessing that we have. We should never take it lightly. Peter talks here about, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. So a couple different ways you can look at that. I read a variety of different commentators. It could be, you know, you look at it a couple different ways. Were they accused, when he, he says, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly Peter had been making known the return of Christ. So were the false prophets accusing them of using cleverly devised myths as they made that known? Or were the false prophets using cleverly devised myths? Either way, it doesn't matter. Peter says very definitively, we did not follow that when we made that known. In the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty, and then He appeals to the fulfillment of God's word, the prophetic word. <clears throat> now, how this uh, cleverly devised, clever, the, the, that, uh, that word is sophisticated, subtle, concocted, to make appear as truth, maybe crafted. I thought about, how does this manifest itself today? And I thought, well, we know it started very early. All the way back in Genesis 1. Did God say? Did God really say? And that continues to this day, doesn't it? Has anyone in here ever heard? Does the Bible really say? What about? I just can't believe in a God fill in the blank I just believe Jesus is love he is but he also spoke a lot about coming judgment whenever you find these things when I hear these it's most often predicated or preceding some sort of attempt to discount some big section of scripture some truth from God's word I just can't believe In our house when we were raising our kids, we, we, we didn't allow the term but I. That was a phrase that was not allowed in our home. When you use the preposition or whatever it's called, but it cancels everything from above, right? So if 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 I said something and it, it's but I, what's that? I'm canceling everything I just heard and I'm inserting what? What I want. So we didn't allow that. It was fine to disagree, but you had to appeal. So I could, you know, I would give a, give a, uh, you know, an instruction, and it was fine if they appealed appropriately and respectfully. But I just could not deal with, but I, I mean, just, you know, just, I felt canceled. See, I was canceled before canceling was cool. And, uh, and so, um, you know, you, you can't… So it's just the whole concept. So when we set up I, right, that's a dangerous point. And then I come back to these subtle and craft. You know, a couple of us brothers are going through Mac Stiles' book called The Culture of Evangelism, and Mac tells a story in there about flying his friend's plane. He's not a pilot, but he gets to fly the controls sometimes. And when he does, he, he, he got rebuked by his friend when they said, Mac, you need to hold it better on course. And then the guy began to explain, Mac, do you understand that just a couple degrees off here puts us in another country in about 200 miles? That's what we're talking about here. We have to be careful. Cleverly crafted and subtle things creeping into the church a little bit today can wind up putting us a long way off as we get to the destination. Here this term made known is often used in the New Testament when imparting new revelation used in John, Romans, Ephesians, Luke, John, or John's twice, Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Colossians. But what are they, what is Peter making known? The power and coming, appearing or arrival in parentheses there, I've had that, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, his second coming in glory and dominion. Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne Luke 12, 40, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Titus 2, 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter then says, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I was thinking about that. Let's think about Peter's comments here. He was an eyewitness to Christ's majesty. This section of Scripture clearly is talking about the transfiguration. So if you go go back in the Gospels, you see, clearly it says here, we our serves, we, I'm sorry, let me back up on my head here. For when we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, For we were with him on the holy mountain. Now we're going to unpack that that's actually a messianic reference to Psalm 2. But before I go there, I wanted to stop for a second and think about Peter. I thought about Peter. You know, Peter was think about his what he saw. His eyewitness testimony wasn't just the transfiguration. He was called as a fisherman, he walked on the water. He confesses Christ in Matthew 16, verse 15 through 16, when he asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And a few verses later in 22 and 23, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Wow. Peter went from, you are the Christ, to get behind me, Satan, because your mind is on the things of man, not of God. Wow. Well, sometimes God shows up and gives us personal illustrations. Yesterday, he gave me a perfectly applicable one to how fickle my heart can be think about that, you know, was right away, oh, well, how could Peter go from there to there? Well, I'll tell you how fast your heart can go from there to there. Yesterday morning, I woke up, had a good time in prayer, finals preparation, you know, enjoying my time in the Word, went on a run, put in the set list. You know, it's at the very bottom of our email that comes out every week. I linked that up, turned it on Spotify. Great songs this week, guys. Good job. And I'm just like running I'm running at about a minute per mile faster pace. I mean, i actually raising my hand when I'm running. I'm thinking, man, this you know, I'm just like really caught up in it. I come back, shower, headed for an 8.30 meeting. Got the radio cranked up, listening to the songs we're going to be singing this morning, raising my hand, driving down my truck, okay? Down 75 over here, about 380. was going to exit uh, just north of there. At Wilmoth. And so, as I'm exiting, a person pulls out, pulls out from that Mercedes dealership all the way across three lanes of traffic right in front of me. And what was my immediate response? What on earth are you doing? I just went off. I said, What kind of idiot comes across three lanes? And it just became evident to me right there that a half a mile back, I had my hand raised in praising God. And then a half a mile later, I raised my hand in anger and frustration. That's how quick our hearts can turn when we don't keep them in check and fill with the Spirit. Peter goes on. He, he, gets his, he, he sees the transfiguration. He has his feet washed. He predicts his denial. He can't stay awake in the garden. He gets his high priest's ear. He cuts off the high priest's ear. He denies Christ. But he's ultimately restored. And then in Acts, we see him preaching boldly. He heals a lame beggar. He speaks at Solomon's portico. He's brought before the council. One of the most famous things, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's arrested, and he says... We must obey God rather than man. And then there's more. Peter went from being a fisherman to, in verse 13, being cited. It says, now they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that's seen as having been with Jesus, that has a boldness about how I live my life for the Lord. What do you want people to see in you? <clears throat> Psalm 2, specifically in verse 6, we have the same thing in play here as we have in verse 17 about, you know, on the holy hill. In verse 18. We also see here in uh, Psalm 2:7, and in verse 17, it says in Psalm 2, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And then here it says, This is my beloved son of, with whom I am well pleased. Peter is saying that the transfiguration is the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy and the confirmation that the word of promise of God's coming should be taken literally. This is Peter's main point right here. The powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is not a myth, but a certain reality, for it's rooted in His own eyewitness testimony. God peeled back and let Jesus, let Peter and James and John see this glimpse of the transfiguration, I believe for the hope of the future glory. This was a shaping experience, I would think, just as much in our lives. Now the word says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, which is the coming of Christ, and the morning star rises in our hearts. Here Peter's giving a clear command to pay close attention to the word and heed what it says. Psalm 119, 105 immediately came to my mind. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. Isaiah, or Isaiah, nine two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has light shone. Proverbs six twenty three. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. We have this word here to illumine our hearts and to illumine us while we are here on this earth, living in this darkened times where sin still exists. While we are here between the already and the not yet, Christ has obviously come. Obviously the truth is proclaimed here. Peter is manifesting this, that this is a glimpse, the prophetic word of being there already. What do you do? What, do we, what should we do while we're waiting? We should come into the light. We should seek as much light as we can find. The scriptures are clear that we're to come into the light. Sin loves darkness. We are to allow God's word to penetrate into our hearts and take up residence. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in our hearts. It doesn't say visit or come for a weekend or show up during a camp experience or show up on some sort of mountain. It says dwell, take up residence in our hearts. Hebrews 4 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Even the intentions of our heart should be laid bare before God. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed of the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. 1 John 1 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. We're to allow the word of God to search the deepest corners of our hearts. This means looking for things even hidden behind the curtains maybe covered up in a dark corner, concealed in a closet or hidden in a drawer. We're to open our hearts to God's word and let him have his way to and fro throughout all aspects of our life. If we harbor sin and try to tame it, it will come and attack. Matt Chandler gave a great example in T4G a few years ago about trying to keep sin kind of hidden in the basement. He used the analogy of when animals attack, ever seen that show? Somebody's, you know, some reporter standing next to some wild animal at the zoo or whatever, and they're doing a, you know, a thing, and all of a sudden, you know, the animal, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, uh, exactly. exactly. When an animal attacks, people act as surprised and astonished. Why? It's what they do. If we keep sin hanging around and it comes out it comes out and gets all over us and creates a big problem, shouldn't be surprised. The Colossians passage says, take up residence and dwell. It's like settling a wild land when God saved me. When God awoke me to the gospel and He came and took up His residence in, his, in my heart, it's like why on earth would you want to plant here? The amount of weeds and thistles that needed to be rooted out of my heart were amazing. Those weeds and thistles take on the forms of wants and greeds and lusts and selfishnesses. It was a lot of work to get that soil turned up. Sometimes it was like grinding a stump. It took a long time in some areas of my heart for God to actually get it withdrawn. And sometimes even after you get rid of that stump, a year or two later, what happens? There was a root left in there, and, you know, it, it shoot comes back up. So what do you have to do? you got to get back in there and keep working at it and root it out. You don't let it keep growing. It says, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as carried along by the Holy Spirit. These two verses are so foundational. True prophecy originates with God, and men were moved. That word born is like a sailing ship being moved by God, you know, or by the wind. If as believers we're going to stand against errors of false teachers, we must seek to know, accept, and obey the totality of Scripture. The importance of this is that deceptive heresies or false prophets can appear quite close to the real thing. An example came to mind that really sticks with me, and I went back out and Googled this up, one of, I'm going to ask this question. You know, how one of, what are one of the ways that people are taught to recognize when something's uh, a counterfeit? Thinking about money here, like fives, tens, and hundreds. They train the FBI and the CIA people on what's right. The best way to recognize counterfeits is to know exactly what the right bill is and how the right bill is made. There's eight distinguishing marks. There's a watermark. There's actually color-shifting ink. There's actually a security thread. There's a security ribbon. There's the crispness of the printing. There is microprinting contained in certain areas on the bills. Their paper material itself is unique and has certain colors in the fibers that when held just right you can see. And the serial number and serial year have a known pattern that's not necessarily known to the public. But there is, it can be detected if you know. That's eight ways. The best defense we can have against falsity is to know this. To have a heightened sense of understanding and a depth of knowledge of this so that we can recognize the counterfeit. It's imperative. So we're going to close here, just touch briefly on verse 1 through 3 because I plan to pick that up next time. We see we move into the false prophets and the ever-present nature of them here. Now they're coming in, it says, and many will follow. They will come in. So there's not only a past tense to the false prophet, but there will be false teachers. So Peter has twofold thing going here in verses 1 through 3. The past and there will be. This is a warning for us to take seriously. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, heresies meaning like factions are setting up these things, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Some of the modern-day challenges here might be some of the progressive Christianity we're seeing where the inspiration of the Bible is denied, the picking and choosing of Scripture. But it can even be dangerous sometimes if people just decide that they're going to only you know, exclusively look at topical things in preaching and they don't hold themselves to the accountability of the context of Scripture. And then what happens? They can begin in their own efforts, starting off very well and and very well-intentioned, but wind up creating their own construct. That's why it's important and it's wonderful that we here try to tend to go verse by verse through the Scripture, and we hold ourselves accountable to the context and accountable to the entirety of the Word. If we're not careful, it can lead to pragmatic earthly best life now and here on earth emphasis and lose sight of the coming and the return of the King. We find ultimate freedom and peace when we walk in agreement with God. There is no peace apart from Christ. And ultimate peace is when we come into the light and walk in agreement with God, repenting of any known sin and striving for holiness. False doctrines end up denying the Master. To deny the Lordship of Christ leads to denial of the Second Coming, which robs us of the hope of Christ's return. couple of closing questions is our faith alive with urgency increasing in the qualities of holiness while making every effort to stir each other up with good deeds am i allowing god's word to illuminate my heart completely or do i have some curtains i need to throw open and allow it to be exposed into some dark areas Let us draw near to the Savior and embrace God's Word, allowing it to have its way fully in our hearts, and let us be compelled to the hope of Christ's return when our hearts will be totally illumined with God's Word, and we will be in the very presence of the Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I didn't talk about the morning star, but that illuminating of our hearts is what that's referring to as Christ's return, and we'll see And he will come in this physical light, I believe, that is just going to be amazing. And he's going to come, and we're either going to be found and illumined by him to be in his presence forever, or we will be forever separated. But I'm going to read, I'm going to close, I'm going to read a passage from Luke. This will be our closing. And then we'll go to the table. And Luke... And start in verse 26, chapter 24. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And what I want you to really listen to here is I'm trying to link in the prophetic word and the importance of the Old Testament and the revelation that came, that Peter saw. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it has been preserved for us. We thank you that we can have confidence in it. We thank you that you have given us these glimpses into the certainty of your return. And we thank you that we can find salvation in you if we believe. Let your, let your word illumine our hearts. And let us find peace and walk in agreement with you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.